Hey, Chef Dean here. Gotta tell you about Rosa Grande pepperoni for your pizzas. These little beauties feature a cool cup and char look and a premium taste. They'll bring your customers back like they were boomerangs. Check them out at HormelCupAndChar.com. Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Hey, it's my pleasure to welcome Vikram Vidge to Table Talk. Vikram, affectionately known as Vidge, is a chef, a cookbook author, and a television personality. He is co-owner with his ex-wife, Miru Dawala, of the Indian cuisine restaurant, Vidge's Restaurant in Vancouver. Chef Vikram grew up in India, but left in 1983 to study hotel management in Salzburg, Austria. While there, he received his chef's training and later became a certified sommelier. After working in Salzburg and Vienna for a few years, Vidge moved to Canada in 1989 when he joined the Banff Springs Hotel in Alberta, where he worked until 1992, moving to work at Bishop's Restaurant in Vancouver with prominent Canadian chef John Bishop. Eventually, in 1994, at the age of 30, he opened a fine dining restaurant named Vidge's in Vancouver soon to be joined in business by his wife, Miru. His business has grown in various directions over the years and includes many different businesses today. In addition to being a renowned restaurateur, Vich is also a cookbook author, and he's won various awards related to that endeavor. Good afternoon, Vikram. How are you today? Namaste, everyone. So looking forward to sharing uh, my journey and uh, obviously... <clears throat> You know, having having great thoughts on uh, things that, that that have happened and insights about it. Wonderful. Well, I know you're a very busy person, uh, Chef, so I do appreciate you making time today, uh, just before the holidays, and um, and I'm looking forward to to talking to you and catching up a little bit. Uh, I know we spoke through the early stages of the pandemic when business was decimated for so many restaurants. Um, and I know the past three years have obviously been a, a roller coaster ride for pretty much everybody in the food service and hospitality industry. So I, I thought it would be great to start our conversation today, just having our reader, our listeners um, understand what the last three years have been like for your restaurants, how they how they did through this tumultuous time, and, and really how your business stands today compared to the early days of the pandemic. So, so let's start there. So let me just start by saying that, uh, you know, we must thank our uh, frontline workers, people who, who went through really tough times uh, during the pandemic and, you know, have, have come, um, come out of it and, and have saved so many um, lives and, and, uh, and obviously their lives changed as well. Um, three years ago when the pandemic happened, as a chef, you know, you never open restaurants to be empty. So you open restaurants because you want to be full and busy and bustling. And especially when you're, you're, a, when you're a restaurant owner that loves people like me. I, I love people. I love talking to people. I love, 
you know, discussing things with people, um, commenting on their clothing or commenting on the food and discussing things. So, I, you know, it's not a business for us. It's a, it's a baby for us. You know, it's not a business. Um, so when that is taken away from you, when, you, when, when that has been uh, changed, um, it is an emotional, um, you know, tough time because the essence of Vikram Vij was gone. The essence of who, who I was, of not taking reservations, people at the back waiting, you know, crowded places, that all was gone. So there were times on Saturday evenings I would just sit in the, sit in the restaurant around eight o'clock when it is supposed to be packed and there's an hour wait technically, uh, completely empty, lights off. And, you know, I would, I would drink some wine. I would drink some scotch because I was like, okay, we've got nothing else to do at home. <laughs> uh, you know, so th those elements were very, 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 very tough um, at a level of, of where, so it was not just a monetary thing. It was also <clears throat> an emotional thing. Of course. Coaster. Um, but then, you know, as chefs adapt, you know, if you have those ingredients in your room, <clears throat> you learn to adapt. So we would do takeout. We would do things that, that needed to be done. And slowly, slowly, um, when we opened, the good part is that we are in a business where if you serve good food and you serve good, uh, have good service and you respect people and you love what, what, what you do, then eventually people see that and they come back to you on it. So uh, it, the businesses come back. It obviously, you know, I lost a few of the businesses. So I lost the old widges. I lost the Rangoli. Um, but I, I managed to keep the widges going. Uh, and then my Shanti in South Surrey uh, kept going and is, is going great guns. And then, uh, you know, during that time, I revamped a little bit. And in New Market, we've just opened up a new concept called uh, Bombay Frankies, which is um, a QSR, basically, and a style of it. So when, when, when I really believe that when something shuts down and shuts you down, you regroup yourself, and then you come back and you, you recreate um, something new and different. And so, that's what so happened. So Vikram, you lost the old Vig, as you said, and Rangoli. Uh, so I think at one point you had four restaurants. So now you have the two. Is that right? That's correct. I had at one point, um, you know, five businesses. I had, um, I also had the food truck and, and, you know, a few other things. But, you know, we've diversified now. We're doing Vigis for You spices that are available. We're doing, um, you know, uh, um, Bombay Frankies. And so you diversify, you change um, where you were like from five businesses, but then you, you know, do more online businesses. You're doing, you know, um, different kind of focuses on, on businesses. So what I'm saying is it makes, it, it changes, change is sometimes um, not a bad thing. So with all the changes that happened through the pandemic, and as you said, you would sit in the restaurant and there was nobody there on Saturday night because of COVID. Um, did you have to change by also uh, adding takeout? Because I think prior to that, I, I don't believe you did a lot of takeout in the no, restaurant. My, my focus was never, my focus was always like, look, we are, 
we are a fine dining Indian restaurant and our food should not be put in a styrofoam cup or in a container right. because it cannot, it just, it doesn't do justification to it, right? Um, yes, we do, do, do take out, we did a lot of, um, a lot of improvements on the, the dishes itself. You know, we did just rice and naan and we just did some dal and some lentils. So for people to be able to take the food home and not at the same price, obviously, mm -hmm. at a lower price. And uh, uh, the advantage of that was that people were able to come and support us and, and still get Vigis quality food, but, you know, maybe not the presentation or maybe not the ambience or maybe not the wine that they wanted. Right. So it did, it did um, you know, again, uh, human beings are very resilient and um, it worked out uh, well. And of course, the government, I must say, stepped in and, you know, helped us out with um, with uh, the wage subsidies and rent subsidies and all that stuff. So it's, it's so, been, a, sorry. No, so are you still doing or offering the takeout today or are you have you stopped that now that things have gone? No, no, we are, we are now that the ball is started and we've gotten right on it. There are people who still do takeout. I mean, obviously it's reduced quite a bit and the focus is, but what we do is now is uh, from six till 8.30, or eight o'clock, I stopped the takeout because I want to focus on the customers that are sitting in the restaurant. And then um, we wait for uh, 7.30 or eight o'clock and then we open up the, the takeout orders as well for people to be able to enjoy food at home. Interesting. And do you do that through a third-party delivery or do you do your own? Uh, no, we do it through a third-party delivery. So DoorDash and, and Uber Eats and uh, you know the local ones that are here. So had the pandemic not happened, you probably would never have gotten into takeout, I would assume. Correct. I, if the pandemic had not happened, I would have not done takeout. I, my Shanti did takeout, but Vijis has never done takeout. And, and I probably wouldn't have done it because uh, I, I, I didn't believe in it. I wanted people to dine in at the restaurant, be wow right. by the ambience and the service and the food and the wine and everything else about it. But... Um, you know, life teaches you lots of lessons, and this is one of them. For sure. And um, you, you mentioned the food truck earlier. Are you still doing the food truck? Or is no, that no, no, the food truck is gone. Everything, all of that is gone. The costs were too high to run, and we just decided to just let it go, uh, you know, and then just focus on the two restaurants that we have. And I think Great. 2023 is going to be that, because 2022 we came back, uh, you know, for this year we've been, we've been back uh, you know, almost like with all the vaccination and everything else, and now all the masks and everything is removed. So I think 2023 is going to be our year of, uh, you know, bouncing back and, and recreating uh, some wow factor menus. And and um, you mentioned that you now have a new QSR business, um, Bombay Frankie's. And I believe you started that, uh, that business in Ontario. I know you've opened a unit in Newmarket recently. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the concept? I know you've partnered up with, I think, a company named Eat Up Canada. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about how that restaurant concept came up and what made you get into the QSR market in Ontario specifically. <laughs> so <clears throat> last year, uh, sometime in March or, or um, around that time, when things were starting to kind of open up and starting to feel, and I know Rangoli was gone and Vidges was gone, Obviously, my mind was running a little bit, um, and um, 
suddenly out of the blue, a gentleman called George Jesus, who, who has franchise uh, experience, called me up for a meeting. And I, and I didn't think much of it, you know, because as chefs, you get these calls all the time. People say, well, let's collaborate here and let's collaborate there and let's do this and let's do that. And then I just, you know, I listen to it. I obviously always want to listen to this. So George calls me out out of the blue and, and says, let's have a conversation. So we had a conversation and it was uh, about Bombay Frankie. And the funny part of the whole thing is, and this is like a whole circle, I grew up in Bombay. I grew up eating Frankie's. I grew up eating that street food of India. Mm -hmm. But because the migration had only come from Northern India or mostly from Northern India, so everybody knew samosas and everybody knew Chana Bhatura and everybody knew all those. Not many people knew Bombay Frankie. And I always used to say to myself, I want to create a concept called Bombay Frankie. I want to have this paratha that's got egg wash in it and fill it up with different flavors and people can eat it. And it's like a, you know, a, an elegant version of a chapati rolled up. And my mom used to make it at home. You know, she would, the bread that was left over, she would put eggs in it and put some stuffing in it and, and I, off I go for lunch. So it was, it was uh, always in my back of my head, but I always said, I'm, I'm not going to, I, I can't. This is, I've, I've, you know, I've gone through just two years of complete hell and I, I don't want to open up another concept of just Bombay Frankies and work at it and market it and try it and blah, blah, blah. It's just too much work. Because at some point, you know, you get tired. You, you, get exhausted, you, get, you get exhausted of having to create a new, I can create a new menu in a minute, but to create a new business means you know you, you you're putting time and money and and effort and in case it falls off and the stress level was too high and they and what we've gone through in the last two years the stress level was very high. So then they called me up and they said let's have a chat and I said okay this, let's have a chat so we had a chat and I, it seemed good to me and I was like okay let's have a second chat and mostly. Mostly people, when you have chats like this, you know, by the time you have the second chat or the third chat, you realize that, ah, this is not going anywhere. This is not going to work out for us. This is not for us. This is, this is just a conversation. But I felt really, really good with George and Alex. And we had the second conversation. And then we had the third conversation. And I told them up front, I said, look, I, I can give you the menu ideas. I can collaborate with you on the menu ideas. I can do a great job of the creating the dish. I have that in me still. But if you're going to ask me to come to New Market and open something up there and actually spend some time there, I can't. I don't have the energy to do it. And they said, sure? no, 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 we'll take care of that. Because they had come from, you know, Boston Pizza and, and um, Firehouse, sub, sub, Firehouse Subs, they had the expertise of how to build these places. I said, I, I don't have the time to come and you know look for where the, the, the shop should be and all that stuff. And so they both of them said, no, 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 we'll do it, we'll do it. So they did it all, basically. So it's a it's a beautiful partnership between George who, uh, and, and Alex and Vikram. Uh, you know, every time there's a menu item. So I was out there, I opened the restaurant up. Uh, it went really well. People got great reviews and we had a good, good conversation yesterday. The menu is fine. Uh, to, uh, you know, doing really, really well, basically. And um, I, I have a, I have a really positive feeling that people will like uh, QSR off this style of Indian style uh, with different uh, combinations. And and you know what? And the best part of this is 
anybody can cook it. Even Vijis today and my Shanti today, the menu items are so complex and so overly complex that mostly or it can only be cooked by the Indians. I'm not saying the others cannot cook, sure. but it, it doesn't have the same flavor. Whereas this, this, this QSR that we've created can be cooked by somebody who's of different ethnicity. They, you know, they can be from Vietnam, they can be from Cambodia or, or from Iran or anywhere else. And, um, and they, can, they can execute it really well. So there was a lot of love and passion that's put behind it. And uh, we've been getting really, really, really positive reviews. And is it a limited menu, Vikram? No, it's not limited. I mean, it's in the sense that it's not an Indian menu. It's not like butter chicken or anything else. It's just Frankie's. Uh, and samosas and some sides. So the idea is we just create um, almost like an Indian uh, roti wrapped with egg wash. Mm. And it's, it's and so it's not like an Indian restaurant menu, is what I'm saying. I've taken ingredients off the restaurant, like the chickpeas and the paneer and the, you know, the butter chicken sauce and the korma sauce, but I put it together in a wrap, basically. And it's it really is um, it's phenomenal. You, you you know, you should definitely try it. I, I'll be there in the end of uh, January again uh, to to because I'm coming to Deerhurst to do a cooking show there uh, uh, in Toronto, and then on on top of that, uh, I'll be going to to um, or I'll, maybe I'll you know what I'll do is I'll introduce you to George and and Alex after this. I think we've actually just interviewed in one of our team and I think we're doing something in the next uh, while on that. So I'll, I'll keep my eyes open, but that sounds like a wonderful concept. Um, and, and I assume it's open for lunch and dinner or just lunch. No, it's open for lunch and dinner. And, so and there only is one right now in Newmarket, right? That's only one new market. And I wanted to focus for three, four months, run it properly. I mean, we just opened in October. So October, November, December. I just wanted to open on on, uh, on the first uh, three months and just figure out the flavors and profiles and uh, you know uh, the menu items and all that stuff. So, so, so Vikram, you mentioned that it's one of these restaurants that anybody can work at. It doesn't have to be just you know Indian people cooking um, in the kitchen. However, my question to you would be: with all the labor shortages that go that are going on in this industry right now. Have you had difficulty finding labor to man this new restaurant? Um, how are you finding that? Very, 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 very difficult. Actually, it's funny you said that. I just, when I had a meeting yesterday with Alex, he, he has core staff members and that he's dealing with, and they're working hard at it. But I said, well, what about the other locations? And he said, I, I just, I don't have the manpower right now to do it. I will do it but I don't have the manpower to do it. So I said to him, I said, I think the immigration policies have been, um, you know, laxed a little bit. And, and mm -hmm. I think you should apply uh, for um, getting some more staff from, you know, other parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, so that can can mitigate this this loss of, of, of the employees because it's it's been, it's crazy. I mean, when I was there for the opening, you know, uh rather than being in the front like one of the one of the um you know managers was at the back rolling out the door <laughs> for the Bombay Frankie because we didn't have enough staff on crazy uh, crazy yeah, crazy and this was like okay you know and we needed to pump out 150 frankies and 
uh, how do we pump out 150 Frankies? Well, somebody has to at the back and, and roll the door. So it, it's been um, definitely a big, big uh, issue. Even at Vijis and Maishanti, you know, we've, we've had in BC as well. I think my key has been that our core staff of Vijis, which is uh, unbelievable and hardworking, uh, has been with us uh, and has come back uh, beautifully and respectfully. So I really feel very proud of that, uh, of them. But, so you're having uh, the same problems in Vancouver with, with your other restaurants in terms oh, of Oh, ab absolutely. We've had the same issues, same problems, same conversations, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I understand it. It's going to take some while, and I think 2023, we're going to focus on the staffing levels. We're going to focus on, on things like this so that we can so be... We can be so, more uh, productive. So how do you deal with that as a restaurateur, Vij? Because obviously this is such a huge problem for all restaurants across every segment. I know when we spoke in the past, a lot of your kitchen help were Indian women, actually, who, who knew the food very intimately. And, and you didn't seem to have those issues back in the day. But uh, everything has changed with the pandemic. So how are you dealing with that? Have you had to reduce your hours at all? Are you... Uh, you know, are you taking, are you closing for certain days? I know some restaurants are yeah. closing certain days of the week because they just can't handle it. What are you doing? So Mondays, uh, my Shanti is closed. And, and it is because of the staffing issue. We were always right. open to the staffing issue. Uh, Vigis, we are not closed, but we are running uh, such a tight ship there that uh, we certain, we close a certain area. So if I don't have a staff, or somebody doesn't come in. I just closed the certain area. And because we have to take reservations now, you basically reduce your reservations so that, that balances off with the number of people that are coming in to your restaurant. Now, is it perfect? No. Is it ever going to be perfect? Even if the floodgates were open and everybody was here, I still think it would be very difficult to fully um, go back to where, you know, 2016, 2017, right. 2015 was. Because, um, again, there's still this this notion of, you know, people are getting flu shots and flu and stuff like that. So it, it is, it's never going to be exactly the same. Um, having said that, I, I think uh, our biggest challenge is not just the staffing, but our biggest challenge is uh, letting people know that Canada produces beautiful foods, Canada has great wines, Canada has great farmers and fishermen, and using what we have in our backyard and making the most of it out of it from the menu point of view, from the wines point of view. So focusing more on local cuisine. Focusing local on your backyard, not just local, but on your backyard. Local comes is a great name, but I think focusing on, on your backyard. Like, what do you have? If you have pumpkins uh, that are available, use pumpkins. Create dishes with pumpkins. If you have lettuce that grows, grow buy lettuce as much as you can and come up with the menu items that are lettuce-focused. Because... Uh, you need to be, we need to be more um, aware of the fact that otherwise the costs of 
doing businesses, cost of chicken, cost of lamb, cost of uh, pork and meats are so high and mm -hmm. so expensive that um, it's prohibitive to go out to a restaurant and uh, order lots of meat. So we have to become more, uh, you know, creative. So the inflation that we're seeing, obviously that's impacting your restaurant in terms of what you're buying and, and you have to increase your menu prices. Are, are you finding resistance to that from consumers today? That well, come in, maybe they're noticing, you know, the chicken that used to be very reasonable a few years ago is now outrageous. How are you dealing with that? Well, you're, you're, you're constantly having to deal with it. So if you go on social media, people will say, it's a pricey restaurant. Well, it's a pricey restaurant because everybody needs to be paid properly. Everybody exactly. needs proper hours, proper uh, you know coverage. Everybody, the the rent needs is higher. The 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 everything is much higher. So how do you how do you not have to charge thirty dollars for a chicken curry that was twenty two dollars uh, two years ago, three years ago? Exactly. Because how will you survive otherwise? You won't survive. You're, you're basically going to the bank and borrow more money and, and, and give it up. So um, I think it's very important for us to realize that, you know, good food is expensive and we live in Canada and we have standards and, you know, we, we want to deal with it. So I, I don't want to uh, put anybody down, but you asked me a question earlier, how do you solve this problem? You solve this problem by a allowing more people from outside uh, uh, and, and, and to welcome them and teach, give them the tools so that they can fulfill their dreams and work hard um, at what they do. So immigration is one of them. Um, B is to respect the farmers, the purveyors, and, and use what we have in our backyard. You know, Saskatchewan produces best chickpeas in the world. We have so much mm -hmm. grain that, that we have that comes from uh, canola from Alberta. We have, we have the resources. We are a culinary destination. Canada is a culinary destination. We just, you know, if we keep that down and, and focus, I think I think we'll be okay. We'll get out of it in a, in a positive manner. So you've touched on, on a lot of really important points. And I think over the last few years, obviously the pandemic has really shone the light on a lot of structural flaws that exist in the restaurant industry. And so we've had, you know, an exodus of people leaving the industry for, for whatever reason, whether or not they come back, that's another story. Um, but there's been so much analysis in recent years that say, you know, the restaurant model is flawed and that if the industry is going to do well and survive, you know, survive and do well in the future, there really has to be a lot of changes made. So you've touched on some of those changes. Do you agree that there's more structural change that needs to be made in this business model that we've always had in the restaurant industry? And, and how do you tackle that? It's such a big job. Who who, who gives anybody the right to say that the restaurant industry is uh, is in shambles? I, I, I don't think at all. I think it's in a great place. I think we have great chefs, great uh, front of the house teams, great uh, maitre d's. Uh, great winemakers, uh, whoever says that the, the restaurant industry is uh, in shambles or it needs a revamp, it does. It needs a revamp in the sense that we need to create new things amongst ourselves. We need to create awareness. We need to make sure that, that uh, people understand the local food and the local services uh, are respected. And you, we don't need to handle anything. This, this 
the nature of a restaurant business is um, is the opposite of of um, exactness. It just flows. It's like the nature of restaurant businesses. It just flows. Wherever there is a cheaper rent, wherever there's a cheaper labor market, that's where people will go. And because that's the nature of the business, they're not looking to open downtown uh, Vancouver or downtown Toronto anymore, because that's the nature of the business. So it, it'll just it'll flows. It's it's a beautiful flow. It's like a river. You know, it finds its course to get to the ocean. And that's exactly what it is. We chefs and we owners, the restaurant owners, we figure out things and we we move on. And sometimes, you know, you may have to block something or let go of something. But overall, it, I think I, I, I think the people that are saying it's flawed are saying that you know the industry doesn't pay its workers enough, that it's not concerned about their mental health. These are the areas that really have come up over the last few years that have been fueled by, you know, the pandemic to some degree. I think there's a lot more talk these days of improvements on how staff are treated and the importance of mental health. Um, do, do you see those as areas that need to be improved? Uh, yeah, of course, all the time. I mean, if if there was a staff member that was not treated well or if somebody has... Um, you know, not been given the break that they need. So let's say somebody says, look, I'm not really well. I need to stay at home tonight. I need to just, you know, focus on myself. Uh, I, I think that has to be respected. And and I think those things will happen. It did, it's not just because of the pandemic. I mean, that's right. human nature. That mm -hmm. has to be human nature. Respecting a co-worker, respecting a co-female worker or a co-male -co worker or co-anybody uh, has to be part of it. Uh, that industry is changing so quickly, uh, the awareness to do this. I mean, you know, when we were young chefs, you know, I remember Bam Springs Hotel, you know, I wasn't allowed to make main courses as much because, um, because um, you know, I was Indian and what would I know as cooking of a steak, a beef really? steak, basically, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, at that time, because it was like, okay, they were all German and Swiss and, and, and French chefs right. at that time, because that's what they believed in, that they knew how to make the beef steaks. And I would not know because I was an Indian cook or an Indian chef. But those prejudices or those things, I think we should focus more on removing those barriers. And of course, um, removing um, barriers of any prejudice against anybody for either the color of the skin or their beliefs or or anybody, we, we should we should be talking, but we should be actually highlighting the fact that we live in and are going to be the best democracy in life of human beings, where, where everybody's respected. And the Canadian values of the respect is very, very important. So I would, Wait, I would never... Sorry. Sorry. I would never say it's flawed. I think it needs to be brought to the attention that uh, these are things we need to work towards and these things are coming up. When people say it's flawed, how it's so wrong to say the word flawed. I, I just, how can you say it's a flaw? It, it's a mistake that we must acknowledge and mm -hmm. move towards and uh, move, move towards the betterment of the, the treatment of the staff members and, and, and the pays and everything else. 
but nobody sat there and said, I'm going to abuse this person or this 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 payroll or thing like that. I mean, it happened. That, that's what I that's what I've learned from my own experiences. I can I can't harp on what happened to me in 1990 uh, yeah. at the Bam Springs Hotel. I, I'll never move forward. I need to move forward. Awesome. And the only way I can move forward is by acknowledging and, and saying, yes, things happen and let's work, move forward towards from it. So you talked briefly about removing the, those barriers to discrimination and to racism. Uh, do you think there's been progress? I mean, obviously 30 years ago, like you said, when you were there, there were different beliefs. Do you think it's gotten better in the industry? Do you think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done? I, I, I think it's gotten, it's moved towards a positive way of, of uh, people saying, uh, you can't say stuff like this in the kitchen. You can't do things like that in the kitchen. You can't push people around in the kitchen like this. I think that the, the, the things have changed. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, is it ever going to be perfect? Um, I don't know. I think we are be dealing with human beings. And when we have human beings, we have feelings. And we have feelings, we have, res we have to respect everybody's feelings. We have to accept them for who they are. And um, so if somebody comes and says, I need that day off because I, my, my, you know, my, my mind is not there 100%, sure, you take that day off. You have to respect. I think we've come a long way from, oh, like, come on, like, you can do this. Or be it, be yeah. this, that machoism. Uh, one thing that has definitely changed, and, and I love that about it, is um, that the gender equality in the kitchen has come far higher, far more than um, what it was 30 years ago, you know. And, For sure, there's a lot more women than there the, used to be. Yeah, and, and, and in every box of life, and it should be equal. It should be 100% equal. Everybody should have the same opportunity doesn't matter where they come from or what 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 they identify themselves as. So do you worry as a chef and as a restaurant operator um, when you're finding it difficult to get people to work in your restaurant? Do you do you worry that people maybe are not wanting to come into this industry like they used to? I mean, you talked about more immigration and everybody looks to immigration as, as a potential solution. But how does that make you feel in terms of the future? Um, okay, so that's a that's a that's a very good question. Do I worry about people not wanting to go in the industry? So you look at any examples. Ninety percent, I would say. I don't know the exact percentage, but I would say ninety percent of the offsprings of the people who have restaurants. Uh, like my ex and I meet when I, so I have two daughters, not, not a single one of them wants to um, be part in the restaurant industry. Because they lived through it from, from their parents? They lived, yeah, they've lived yeah. through it. You'll find a lot of people who whose parents are chefs who have worked hard, uh, whether they were Chinese immigrants or Indian immigrants or immigrants from any part of the world. They've seen how hard they've worked. And now that they're educated, they don't want to get into the restaurant business. So the force that has to come into the restaurant business has to be somebody who is willing to risk and, and says, this is all I know. I, I, I'm not a computer savvy person, or I'm not this, but I know how to cook. So why not create a restaurant or why not create this? I mean, restaurant business, there's only 10 
maybe 10, 10, 15% of the people that are at the upper ashrams that actually create the business as, oh, this is my passion. This is what I love doing. So otherwise, it's for 80% of the mom-pop shops that are out there, it's a business. It's a job. They go in, they earn a living, and then they come out of it. Right. You know, they're not... Uh, they're not looking to be passionately saying, did I use the best cilantro or was my presentation the best? And that was like, okay, did the guy pay the bill or did that person pay the bill? And if they did, then that's great. Um, so I think the only, only way we can, we can allow that is to have people come in who um, from the countries of their origin, uh, they don't, they don't have much uh, skill set here as much. And uh, that they they are willing to work in the kitchens and, and the restaurants and dishwashers as and housekeepings and, and things like that, you know. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. It's 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 challenging though as an operator when you're when you're dealing with that on a daily basis. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how we move forward on this front because it doesn't look like the labor's situation will improve like overnight. It's going to take a lot a lot of years. And retention is still an issue. People will come into the industry, but are restaurants able to keep them there, right? Correct. And that's that's the bigger issue as well. Like if somebody comes in and says, well, I want medical. Well, how can you afford medical for somebody who's just walked in the, the door? Because the cost of doing that business is so much higher, right? And so unless you're <laughs> in a higher management position or higher this, it's very, very, very difficult. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I I feel for you. So it's it's a it's it's a catch twenty two situation. Unless we improve, unless we retain, unless we work together, and uh, our our uh, locals, coffee shops, restaurant owners, if we support them, then I think will 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 be great you know and if we don't support them i mean we'll still survive most people will still survive it's not like they're won't, but it'll be a bigger struggle for them or a longer cycle to come back for sure so vikram um a few months ago vancouver and toronto both received the michelin guide um and i know that recently your restaurant was uh rated as part of that with the bid gourmand um, what impact do you foresee on your restaurant specifically being part of that Michelin Guide? Uh, it's a very exciting initiative that, that has landed in Canada finally, and I think it puts Toronto and Vancouver on the culinary map. How do you feel about it? I love it. I mean, you know, I studied uh, in Austria and uh, Relais and Chateau properties, um, you know, properties, um, the leading hotels of the world properties, and the Michelin guides—they mean a lot. You know, they—they—they—they they, they, they have a good, good value behind them, and they mean a lot. And they—they're they're signs of, of saying people are passionate about the food and what they do. Um, and so, I'm honored to be part of the Bib Gourmet, uh, Gourmand, um, uh, you know, of the guide itself. Uh, how has it impacted financially? I don't know yet because obviously it just came out and uh, yeah, so it's just it's just starting out right now, and I think it'll have a little bit um, uh, impact over the years. And we also need to market it a little bit more. We haven't done that either because we we, we as restaurant owners 
are sometimes a little humble and quiet and just like, you know, we just do the thing. Uh, but I think, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many accolades you have, how many, what great of a name you have, what only thing that talks about is, is your food and your service good enough? Are people walking away and saying, this is amazing, this is great, this is lovely. Um, and, uh, and I think that's the most important part. It's a great feather in your hat. As a chef, as an owner of the business, um, uh, it's a great feeling of like, wow, this is amazing. On the other hand, I don't take it for granted. Uh, you know, I still go to work every day and still stay there. And, and so it's all, it's all good. Can't complain. Uh, but it, it is, it's, a, it's definitely a, a big honor. And the fact that Michelin Guide has decided to come to Canada uh, and open up in Toronto. I hope they'll do it one in Ottawa one day and then Calgary. And because there are some great chefs in those parts of town as well. Vancouver, sure. and, Vancouver and Toronto are not the only places. I, I think Ottawa has fantastic places. Um, Calgary has fantastic places. Winnipeg has great yeah. places, you know. No, it's great. I mean, although it, it, it's a nice feather in your cap, as you said, but, uh, you know, your restaurant's always been packed and has always been very renowned. So, I'm sure it'll it'll make things better, but you're already in a pretty good spot, I would say. We're in a good spot in the sense of people are coming in. They have recognized the fact that we have worked for 28 years hard and we are here focused. But then I, I also have to give an ode to uh, John Bishop, who had to shut down. Uh, yes, that was year. very sad. Uh, very sad that he had to shut down after 28 years, uh, after like 30 five years, 40 years almost. Um, and and uh, how sad it is, you know, that's that's something that he knew all the time and he knew it really, really well. And um, for, for, for him to, you know, to have to retire like this, it, it, my heart goes out for him because he, he is such an amazing restaurant owner and such an yes. amazing um, human being, you know, and... Um, I think it's it's uh, definitely um, an eye opener uh, for all sure. of us to say, "Hey, listen, the, how how does that happen?" And there were so many restaurants like his that ended up closing during the the pandemic that have been around for you know twenty, thirty, forty Correct. years. Very, very sad. Yeah. So, uh, Victor, as a way to um, to wrap up, because I know our time is running out. Obviously, the pandemic changed so much for everybody. But it also taught a lot of operators a lot of different lessons. What lessons has it taught you? I know that um, I remember interviewing you several years ago and you had said that, you know, you wanted to have a certain number of restaurants by the time you were 30 and then 50. Uh, and then the pandemic happened and everything changed. Uh, what, what have been some of those lessons and, and where do you see yourself going now in this post-pandemic world? So... My goal at that time was to have five restaurants by the time I'm 50, one for each decade of my life. Right. That was my goal. I achieved it um, by doing the businesses that I wanted. But the cost was so high, so stressful in the last seven years, eight years, because I'm 58 now, um, that... Uh, it was, a, it was a goal that I was very proud of at the time when I achieved it. But when I look back and say how hard I've worked, I've actually worked harder, stressfully, mentally, emotionally in the last, you know, 
five years than I did managing those business. Mm -hmm. So now, now I'm actually where I am at is I want to just run these two restaurants uh, properly, uh, financially well. I'm 58, and um, the next decade of my business until I'm 60. Um, I just want to focus on doing things that I love doing, which is, you know, um, letting somebody else run Bombay Frankies and multiplying them all across the country and across the nation. Let them do it. I just want to focus on my two restaurants um, because I, I feel that I sprinted there, I got there, and now I, I feel that the energy is still there to do, uh, create new things, the energies, the love, the passion, everything else is there. The tenacity to go and uh, spend, you know, another three hundred thousand dollars on a new venture, that has gotten tiring. That has gotten right. Um, has become I become astute by it, saying, "No, I don't need it. I don't need to spend that money." You know, makes total sense, and and also quality of life and balance Correct. in your life, right? Correct. Correct. And that is very, very important. So now, uh, now that, you know, I have a good relationship, I am in a, in a, in a positive place. I want to just focus on that and focus on us and, and also be the best mentor. I've always believed that you need to be a mentor. We all need to be great mentors for our children, for our people that work there and everything else. So I think it's important for us to rely, uh, recognize that and it's okay it's it's part of it i needed to go through that journey in order to to be mm. here if i didn't go through that journey i wouldn't know that i needed to do this so uh it's a constant learning battle basically well that sounds uh sounds like you've done a lot of soul searching and a lot of thoughtful uh analysis of what you need in your life and, and you've arrived at this wonderful point and You've done so many wonderful things through your career and, and you've, you've accomplished so much. So I, I want to congratulate you on all you've accomplished and, and wish you all the best in, in terms of the future. And I'll look forward to seeing Bombay Frankie's grow and, and maybe some other concepts will come up that, you, um, that you'll also get involved in. Yeah. Um, I've always admired, I've always admired people like you, uh, you know, 10 years, I think maybe it was older than 10 years ago. Uh, when I did uh, Dragon's Den, and I remember sitting in that uh, room in the morning, uh, you you had interviewed me, and there was a gentleman sitting on the right hand side, and you know he had a very thick accent, and but he was a South African accent, and I didn't know that he was Michael Bonacini's, you know, Peter uh, Oliver. Yeah, Peter Oliver. Yes. Uh, he was sitting right there, and you know we had a great chat, and we had a great conversation and stuff. So what, what you have done also from a media point of view is that you brought people together, you brought people um, to a great understanding and a great respect. Um, and, and I think, you know, congratulations are, are it's great to feel this way, but I'm not, I'm not done yet is what I'm saying. I've just I know you're not done yet. No way you're done yet. <laughs> I am regrouping myself is what I'm saying. For sure. And I have every confidence you're going to emerge stronger than ever. I appreciate it. Thank you so, so, so much. Well, thank you for your time, Vikram, and good luck, and uh, hope to see you soon. Absolutely, you will. And then when you're, when you're doing the article, 
let me know and I'll post it and then we'll talk about uh, Bombay Frankie as well. For sure. All right. Well, you have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.